0: This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Paul, A Herald of the Cross by Florence M. Kingsley. Part 3. An Ambassador in Bonds. Chapter 36. Despised and Rejected. Paul reached Jerusalem in time for the Feast of Pentecost as he had wished. What inward conviction urged him on can never be known. Go not up to Jerusalem, said certain disciples at Tyre, where the travelers tarried for seven days, and it is recorded of these that they spake through the Spirit. At Caesarea also came a second warning. Agabus, on whom had fallen the mysterious gift of prophecy, took Paul's girdle and bound his own hands and feet, saying, So shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man that owneth this girdle, and shall deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. At this, both his host and the disciples of Caesarea, who had gathered to meet him with Timothy and Luke, Sopater, Aristicus, Secundus, Gaius, Tychicus, and Trophimus, his companions in travel, besought him with tears that he should not go up to Jerusalem. But Paul answered them, "'What mean ye to weep and break mine heart? For I am ready to not only be bound, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus.' And when he could not be persuaded, writes Luke, we ceased, saying, The will of the Lord be done. The day of Pentecost passed quietly, and on the day following, Paul, together with the delegates from the Gentile churches, bearing the contributions which were the fruit of untold sacrifices, of reverent and loving regard for the mother church at Jerusalem, appeared before the council of elders. Paul had taught these men that there was neither Jew nor Greek in the sight of God, that all were one in Christ Jesus. He had encouraged them to rejoice in their freedom from the law, to beware lest they become entangled with the yoke of bondage. In Jesus Christ neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, he had declared, but faith which worketh by love. Yet before the cold, almost hostile eyes of that conclave of rigid, law-abiding Jewish presbyters, These ardent disciples must have felt some painful misgivings. One by one the deputies came forward and laid their offerings at the feet of James, scarcely daring to lift their eyes to the mysterious white-robed presence whence breathed an atmosphere of awful holiness.' The hands of youthful Timothy trembled, his face was colorless, the rigid, severe countenances of the presbyters, the unbending, austere brow of the Lord's brother, the Nazarite for life, somehow awakened in his heart all the fears long since put to rest. But with a single look into the face of his beloved father in the faith, a genial warmth stole into his chilled heart. He became conscious of that other and gentler presence, the presence of the Lord himself. And now Paul began to speak of the wonderful experiences of the past years, as he unrolled the glorious record of his labors, showing one by one what things God had wrought among the nations by his ministry. Loud Alleluia's burst forth from the listening delegates, and even the self-contained presbyters were roused momentarily from their disapproving silence into a murmur of dignified and cautious praise. But this was all. We are not informed that any gratitude was expressed for the generous tokens of love and fealty sent by the struggling churches, nor does the inspired chronicler record any word of encouragement or cheer spoken to the worn laborer. There is no mention of any plan whereby comfort and safety might be secured to him whose life was avowedly in danger, even in Jerusalem. What then happened? "'You observe, brother,' said one of the council, with a preliminary wave of the hand, "'how many myriads of the Jews there are which believe, and they are all zealous of the law. "'These have been positively informed that thou teachest apostasy from Moses, "'telling the Jews among all nations not to circumcise their children, "'and not to walk in obedience to the customs. "'How then do we find ourselves? "'That a crowd will assemble is quite certain, for they will all hear that thou art come.' Do therefore this that we bid thee, we have four men which have a vow upon them, take them, and be purified with them, and pay their charges, that they may shave their heads. All persons will then see that those things whereof they were informed concerning thee are nothing, but that thou thyself walkest orderly, keeping the law." But as regards the Gentiles, which have embraced the faith, we have already enjoined their exemption from anything of this kind, save only that they keep themselves from things offered to idols, and from blood, and from strangled, and from fornication. For a full moment there was silence in the place. The great apostle to the Gentiles was looking down upon the ground. Did he recognize in this unworthy and humiliating proposition that the spirit of hatred and jealousy which had dogged his footsteps for so many years— Did he feel that the eyes of the Gentile churches were upon him? That they looked to see whether he would bend his own neck to that galling yoke of bondage from which he had labored so valiantly to set them free? Did he perceive that the hand of the Pharisaical Christian held out to him a cup of appalling suffering and of certain death? Yet nothing could avail to move him save that faith which walketh by love. Truly, though he was free... He was willing to become the servant of all that he might gain the more. He was made all things to all men, that he might save some. He raised his eyes and looked his future full in the face, and surely we may not doubt that there was the ring of certain triumph in his voice as he said, I will do the thing which ye have asked of me. Having said this, he made no delay, but taking the four Nazarites, entered at once upon the tedious ceremonial rites of purification, for four days Paul lived in the chamber of the temple set apart for the nazarites; for four days he submitted himself patiently to all the endless ceremony which rabbinical pettiness had superimposed upon Mosaic ritual-the four he lambs of the first year for the burnt offering, the four ewe lambs of the first year for the sin offering the four rams for the peace offering, the six tenth deals, and the two-thirds of a tenth deal of flour, taken four times, from which were to be baked the four lots of twenty cakes, ten of which were to be leavened, and ten unleavened, and which must further be anointed with the fourth part of a log of oil, and brought in four separate baskets for the wave offering. All these had been duly provided. When the seven days should be completed, and all the sacrifices offered, the burnt offerings, the sin offerings, the peace offerings, the wave offerings, the meat offerings, the drink offerings, and the free will offerings, then the heads of the four men could be shaved, and their hair, roughened and tangled by more than a month of neglect, burnt beneath the sacred cauldron wherein the peace offerings were boiling. How must the strong spirit of Paul have groaned during this empty and tedious observance, "'In what is this better than the worship of Diana or of Jupiter?' he must have asked himself. "'But if by means of this painful concession to the Jewish Christianity the spread of the glad tidings might be hastened, as he had been assured, he was willing to endure it, even as he had endured stripes and imprisonment at the hands of his heathen enemies, he could endure all things through Christ who strengthened him.' On the morning of the fifth day among the crowds which surged through the temple enclosure, there came into the court of the women certain Jews from Asia. As their eyes roved about over the crowded space, one of them caught sight of Paul and the four Nazarites, standing oil cakes in hand, before the attendant priest. "'Look you!' exclaimed Alexander of Ephesus, seizing one of his companions by the arm. "'Yonder is the fellow shawl!' "'What, the mad apostate, who hath stirred up all Asia with his accursed heresies?' "'Aye, the very same,' answered Alexander, grinding his teeth. "'Do you not see him yonder with the four Nazarites? "'Hypocrite! "'He would play the zealous law-abiding Jew in the temple "'after being excommunicated from every synagogue in Asia? "'His blood be upon his head!' With that he rushed through the crowd, and threw himself like a tiger upon his prey, crying out, "'Israelites, help! This is the fellow that teacheth all men everywhere against the people, and the law, and this place. Aye, and besides that, he brought Greeks into the temple, and hath defiled this holy place.' "'He brought Greeks into the temple! "'He hath defiled the temple!' "'The blasting falsehood flew from tongue to tongue "'and from court to court. "'The people cried aloud and ran, "'crying and wailing to the spot. "'Death was the penalty according to the law, "'a penalty recognized by the Romans themselves. "'Death! "'Death to the man who hath defiled the holy temple!' "'With wild howls and execrations, "'the frantic Jews dragged their victim by main force "'through the great gate beautiful.' It was shut with a clang behind them, impelled by the frightened Levi's who had hurried to the spot. Down the steps and into the spacious court of the Gentiles rushed the infuriated crowd. The place was instantly filled with people who ran together from every direction, yelling and howling with that mad, unreasoning fury which spreads from man to man like lurid lightning flashes amid the flying cloud rack of an angry heaven. Above all the wild tumult of trampling feet and strident voices sounded the dull thuds of furious blows. Suddenly, the harsh clang of shields and the measured thunder of mailed feet announced the approach of a detachment of the Roman guard. It was useless to resist. At the Passover, only a few months since, more than ten thousand of the Jews had been killed on this very spot, some falling beneath the swords of the Romans, others, in their effort to escape, trampled and crushed to death. The people fell back on every side, stumbling over one another in their eagerness to avoid the merciless spear-points of their masters. "'Make way there!' And Lysias, the commandant of Antonia, surrounded by his guards, laid the authoritative hand of Rome on the half-insensible victim of Jewish tolerance. "'Who is this man, and what is his offense?' A wild tumult of voices answered him. "'Apostate! Accursed! The temple! The temple! The temple!' Lysias frowned contemptuously. "'He was unhappily familiar with the senseless fanaticism of these mad Jews. Bind him with two chains,' he commanded briefly, "'and take him to the castle.' "'But the mob, seeing their prey about to be carried out of their sight, "'set up a deafening howl. "'Away with him! Away with him! Kill him!' "'Hurling themselves upon the solid phalanx of armed men in unavailing fury.' The fettered prisoner staggered, and would have fallen before the shock of the assault, but the soldiers, obeying the command of their watchful superior, fairly lifted him off the ground, and continued their steady retreat toward the stairs which led to the top of the cloisters, which in their turn communicated directly with the castle of Antonia. Now the stair was gained, a moment more, and the prisoner would be safe within the massive walls of the fortification. May I speak a word with you? Lysias glanced at the prisoner with astonishment. "'Canst thou speak Greek?' he demanded. "'Art thou not that Egyptian, who a short time ago made a disturbance "'and led out into the wilderness those five thousand assassins?' "'I am a Jew of Tarsus in Cilicia,' replied the prisoner, "'and therefore a citizen of no mean city. "'I beseech thee, suffer me to speak to the people.' "'Speak if thou wilt, and canst,' said the Roman with a shrug but he stared in astonishment when the battered, dusty, insignificant-looking man, his clothing hanging in shreds about him, his face and shoulders bleeding from the countless wounds, succeeded with an authoritative word and gesture in attracting the attention of the furious multitude. A profound silence followed, in which the prisoner spoke rapidly, urgently, persuasively, as the chief captain could make out from his tone and gestures— although he understood nothing of what was being said. Two, five, ten minutes passed, and still the multitude listened in perfect silence, every eye fastened upon the chained figure in the midst of the Roman guard. "'What is the rascal saying to them?' growled Lysias to the centurion who stood at his side. "'Must we stand here all day?' But at that moment the tumult broke out afresh with furious shouts, yells, groans, execrations, and a whirlwind of flying stones, dust, and shreds of torn garments. "'He said Gentiles just then,' answered the centurion with a grin as they resumed their cautious retreat toward the barracks. "'Dogs!' exclaimed the commandant with an oath. With a fresh access of irritation he cast his eye upon the prisoner." He was also a Jew by his own confession. Take the fellow and scourge him. He commanded that way we may find out what this accursed tumult is about. There is no other way to get the truth out of these lying knaves. But as they bound him with thongs to the low pillar, preparatory to the awful examination by torture, the prisoner said very quietly to the centurion who stood near. Is it lawful for you to scourge a man that is Roman and uncondemned? The centurion started with amazement. Hold, he said gruffly to the soldiers who were preparing to lay on the flagellum. I must look into this. He at once sought out his superior officer. What are you about? he demanded bluntly. This man is a Roman. Lysias brought down his hand heavily upon his knee. A Roman, sayest thou? "'Then by Bacchus we had no right to bind him. "'I will come out at once.' "'The prisoner was still bound to the torture-post, "'and as Lysias stared at his back, made naked for the whips, "'he perceived from the livid scars which disfigured it "'that the man had already suffered more than once beneath the scourge. "'Tell me,' he said with an incredulous smile, "'art thou a Roman?' "'Yes.' "'Lysias shook his head doubtfully.' The man was a Jew, clearly enough, and a poor Jew. The franchise was a costly privilege. I know how much it cost to get me my citizenship, he said boastfully. I was born a citizen. The commandant turned pale. Take him away, he said irritably. I will look into this case further. With that, he turned on his heel and strode away, muttering execrations on the whole Jewish nation, but more particularly on that Jew who threatened to make it very uncomfortable for the captain of Antonia with his claim of freeborn citizenship. It is some matter of their infernal law, he determined at length. I will let the pack of hair-splitting rabbis yonder take this case in hand. End of chapter 36